All right, we are here with David, the founder of Eduflow, the current sponsor of Out of Beta. And uh, today we're going to have basically a, a chat about the Eduflow origin story. I, I kind of shared uh, the 10 second version on the podcast already. Basically, you kind of scratched your own itch in university. You decided to go take it more seriously. Uh, you you joined y YC and you kind of when we talked, you kind of like just like glossed over all these. Uh, you raised a bunch of money. You became profitable, and you have a team of like twelve people. And and you described it as you know just like a normal startup journey, which yeah. I think it's not. Uh, so it would be fun <laughs> to kind of like maybe do the thirty minute version of that story instead of the thirty second version. Um, but David, maybe you could just kind of give us the the more correct version of that and maybe like the two to three minute version of what I just said and kind of <laughs> how you got started on uh, Eduflow and which was pure grade when you started it actually, right? So I was doing my PhD after my degree in uh, machine learning. And uh, during my studies, I'd always liked teaching a bit more than the actual research. So uh, as soon as I got a chance to teach my own course, I, I grabbed it and I decided to make a course about uh, data science in like practice. So the things you'll actually see when you go out into the real world um, are not the same things you learn in at university. So I, I made this course and put it in the course base and it got extremely popular, a lot more popular than I had anticipated. I put big data into the title and apparently that's what people search for in the course base. They're like big data. Yeah, so, SEO works. <laughs> <laughs> it worked. Uh, but it wasn't to my advantage here because I didn't get paid by students, right? I was just like, now I just had a problem because I built my course with the expectation of small number of students. So it was like very intensive, a lot of work submit things every week that I had to grade. And instead of 15, I had 150 students. And if you do the quick math, you'd realize I had to do like 40 hours of grading work every week just to like do the minimum uh, amount of grading. And that made that made no sense for anybody, right? I didn't want to do that. Uh, the students couldn't use five minutes of, of like uh, quick feedback from me for much. But I wanted to keep kind of this core structure that I'd built. So I decided to go and build a, a tool to help me run peer feedback in the course. So basically, the students would submit their work and then they would get assigned to review each other's work. So they would grade each other. That's why the peer grade uh, name came in. I'd kind of I've, I'd seen peer review done in this way before on Coursera. They had a similar idea, a bit simpler than what we implemented. Um, but I couldn't use Coursera for my own course. And then... I had done some research on uh, finding fraudulent votes in voting systems. And the algorithms you use for that, you could also use for peer review, I realized. So you could like find bad reviewers and try to weigh them down so they don't impact the scores of the papers too much and so on. So it's like hmm. kind of solving my own problem, kind of an academic endeavor. And then it was just like, I can code this in a weekend. No worries. Um, the famous <laughs> last, words. last words. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm sorry to interrupt, but like, in my head right now, like I'm trying to, th I'm trying to like pretend like I'm the one of the like YC partners that and you're interviewing and you're telling me this story about like how you have a PhD in machine learning and you're scratching your own itch and you had like product market fit with this course and and I'm like in my head you're already in in this YC batch. <laughs> <laughs> That's what basically happened in at YC, right? It's very. Classical, uh, some dudes with a technical background who solve a problem, their own, scratch their own itch, 
uh, have some interesting insights. We did, we were like a standard company in, in YC. We didn't have like tremendous growth or a, a great market or something, but there was just something interesting. There's just something weird going on in this idea. And I think YC, YC liked that and, and the other investors liked that as well. Maybe um, the pattern matching too is you were, you were actually pointed in this direction and I'm just sort of visually gesturing here for listeners, but you're pointing in one direction and you had to do something along the way in order to be successful with that. But then there's always this pattern of the thing you make in order to be successful doing something that actually ends up being more interesting as a product potentially, or a solution that's generic than not everyone's trying to do the thing you're trying to do over here, but a lot of people might need the thing you made to solve the problem that was in your way. So some pattern matching potentially. Yeah, and that kind of comes back later in the story, I guess, in in a way, right? So, so I built this software for myself, and um, I was not supposed to make it into a business. I was actually trying to build another company at the time. Um, but then my supervisor found out about it, and he was like, David, this is a great idea. I want to use this in my course. And he was even more lazy than me, right? He's just like, ah, I don't have to grade. That's awesome, right? I, I was like, it's perfect for me. Um, <laughs> but he's also kind of a business guy. So he was like, and you're going to sell this. And I'm like, what do you mean I'm going to sell this? I'm like, I'm a PhD student here. I can't sell this. <laughs> He's like, don't worry, come with me. And then he took me by the hand, basically, and he brought me to the head of the department. And he said, David is here to sell you something. And I was like, uh, okay. Um, I guess I made this software for peer feedback, and then we don't have to grade. And and then he just looks at me, this like department head. He's very silent. He's like, what, what does it cost? <laughs> oh, I, have, I hadn't put a price on it, right? I just built it <laughs> yesterday. Uh, and I said, uh, $1,000 per course per semester. And he's completely silent. And I'm like, what do I do now? And then I say, <laughs> in that panic, I say like, okay, um, I'll take, I'll take, I remove all my TAs then. Like buy the thing, but then I don't have any teaching assistance. And then it's a good deal for him. So he's like, sure. Okay, that's a deal. Um, so I end up selling him two licenses, one for me, one for my supervisor for $1,000 per license. Um, I give up my TAs, but I get one. I, 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 I kind of claw back one TA. Um, <laughs> and then I leave the office. And now I'd sold this product. I haven't built it. I have to figure out a lot of things. Um, so I go back and I call my old high school friend, Melde, who's a better programmer than I am. And I say, okay, here's the story. And I tell him what's up. Uh, like, do you want to join? You can be my one TA and then just build this product and then I'll figure out the course. But like I could pay you with my TA money. I'm getting my PhD money and then we, we start this thing together. So we did that back in, in the middle of 15. And then uh, we were a two-person team for six months or something. And then we brought on our third co-founder who's a designer in, in 16. And then we just started working, right? So we would build it with our students. We would go sit and code for a week and then we'd go to the lecture, do the lecture for the course and then all the students would come and complain about peer grade afterwards so we could fix all the bugs and then we would like iterate week over week. But we basically, first of September when the course started, there was nothing. You could log in but nothing else because we knew we had one week before submissions came in. So we had one (laughs) week to build submissions and then we had one week to build peer review functionality and like so it was completely building while you were sailing or whatever. So yeah, yeah. It's very intense. Wow. Uh, what was, what was, I mean, that, that's so fast. Like it's the whirlwind. Uh, 
as you say, like how excited were you about like that versus what you thought you were going to be doing? Like, was this just instant? I have to try this. I've wanted to start a, I, did you know about startups was entrepreneurial in your DNA? Yeah. Or? Yeah. Yeah. I liked startups, right? I was attracted to it. I was living in this uh, weird co-living space with 20 entrepreneurs um, and me. And okay. I was one of the only people there who was not doing a startup when I moved in. I was just like there a technical go. guy. And the other guys were like, ooh, like a programmer. That's great. We want him in. Yeah. Come um, <laughs> so I instantly got into this startup world and, and it, it attracted me. But I don't, it was kind of my first real startup, this peer grade and the other thing I was doing at the same time, yeah. which we then closed. And then I went all in on, on peer grade and my PhD. I, I finished my PhD. Uh, but it, that was also kind of a whole complexity of its own to finish a PhD while running a startup. So what happened next? Yeah, so we started like working on it. I took a leave for a year from university. Um, we started selling some licenses. So we had our own department. And then I, I thought, okay, there's, my, my own department is a customer. There's 20 departments. I can just start going to the other departments. And like I was one of their colleagues, right? So it was pretty easy to go to the other departments next door and knock on the door and get an intro. So I started selling licenses and then I wrote to some of the other universities in Denmark. We only have eight universities in Denmark. So it's pretty easy to hmm. count them, right? Um, so I started going door to door, basically. Um, it was very easy to get in because I was not like uh, David, the traveling salesman. I was David, the PhD student who's here to talk about the academic benefits of peer review. And then <laughs> 45 minutes into the presentation, I say, Oh, and I have some software as well that you could, if you like all of this I've said so far, you can use my product to to facilitate it. And then people were already bought in. So they liked it I so think much. It, there was, it feels like uh, there was a really good match where you, you found this traction, but you are, you also knew that you wanted to have a startup, yeah. which is why you ran with it, because most people would not know what to do mm. with. Sure. It's a version of product market fit, right? It was, it was definitely a product market fit in a small scale, right? Like for me, it was exactly the product I needed. So that's like a product market fit of one. And then there were people, I could see quickly that there were people who this worked very well for. Um, mm. We learned a lot about like what people actually use this for. Some people use it for not grading and some people would use it for the pedagogical benefits. Like you get to see other people's work and give them feedback and so on. So there's a tremendous amount of pedagogical benefits to doing peer feedback. And those two things were kind of what carried us forward, uh, more and more focused on the, the pedagogical things. So we started selling some licenses and, and then uh, we started moving from universities into schools as well. So like I called my old math teacher and my old informatics teacher from high school and said like, I'm building this thing with Melde, who was my high school friend, right? So they remembered him as well. Do you want to use it? Like, just can, you want to try it out? And they're like, sure, we would love to. Uh, and then I didn't really think it would make sense because there was like a high school teacher only has 30 students so like scale isn't a problem is it it turns out it is because they have a ton of classes at the same time and they do a lot of grading so they also liked it and also for the pedagogical benefits so now we had another market basically opening up um, and that was our market basically for long for years right it was schools and universities and then we branched out from Denmark to the Nordics to to US and so on was it uh, a lot of people have difficulty selling to education, uh, the educational departments, groups, um, schools, because uh, it's slow. It's hard to buy things. That's that's the story. Right. But it sounds like it sounds like the people that like this were able to say, yes. Did it take a long time to actually get 
paid to to get contracts signed to close deals was that painful or was that somehow quick it got it got slower and slower i think over time um the, the higher up you move in the hierarchy, the harder it gets, right? If you want to sell to a whole university, it's very cumbersome. Um, if mm. you can tie it to a department, it's much easier. Departments have their own budgets. They're smaller. But if you okay. add up the department budgets, they're bigger than the university budgets often. The same mm. for schools and districts, right? District sales is hard. School sales is a lot easier, but the money is smaller. Um, mm. And we went bottoms up as much as we could because it was much easier yeah. for us to, to get through that way. And uh, I... <laughs> I think I understood at the beginning, but just to make it really clear, like that person you called that had not heard of this, how did you know that they would be, what was the persona or the person, what was the job to be done? What was the thing you knew? Hey, if they have this, then they're a candidate or a prospect. Like, how did you know that person would be interested just because they're a teacher? Like all teachers are the market or? So I'll go to in the individual professors at universities, right? And say like, you have a course. I would, I would write these extremely high conversion cold emails. Um, the biggest <laughs> conversion was like, um, the title would be something like uh, peer feedback in, and then their, the title of their course, like merged into the email. That like nobody ever sends you an email with the course title you're teaching as cold email. Yeah. So like, like 100% open rates and like very high response rates. So that was kind nice. of my... I reach out to professors directly. And then the other persona is in universities, there's these people called like teaching and learning or learning development people who basically they're consultants, you could say within the university and they help the professors implement new technologies and new learning uh, theories and so on. So they're kind of sitting in the middle and if mm -hmm. they want to look good, they have to bring in cool new technology that helps the students and the professors. So they were, they understood the pedagogical benefits here and mm -hmm. they liked new tech. So they were kind of our, the way in for us. Um, I think if people yeah. are selling products that are more like, this is a data tool or this is a governance tool or something, it's not very sexy, but this was much more like cool and, and nice and a win for everybody to implement. I, I, lo I love how you're describing it because there's, again, kind of like Peter said, this may be a repeating theme with you, but you just dropped a ton of knowledge on the psychology of your buyers and the interrelationships between the different people at the school. And like this person is, doesn't look good if they don't do that. Like that's all so important to getting a sale done because if you just go to the front door of some university, it might take you years to figure out those um, incentives and psychological and emotional motivations that you just, so the benefit of being on the inside and like knowing all of this so intimately is obviously huge. Um, and so, yeah, you, you, if this was a game, you like got the shortcut. Um, but then you also knew how to, ex I'll say exploit, but like leverage that knowledge to get sales interest, right? Which is... Um, so I think like one of the things, like we, we learned all of this over many years, right? And um, in the beginning we did like, I've got to do all the startup words here, right? But like we did a lot of things that didn't scale. And and that would mean a lot of me traveling to our customers, like physically and, and taking a lot of random meetings with the wrong people. Um, so I would like, okay, I live in Denmark, right? I would go to Sweden and to Norway and to Finland, like three neighboring Northern European countries. And I would like book a week in each capital. And then I'd write to every department and every teacher, whatever in, in the country, basically, or in the city and say like, okay, I'm in this, uh, I'm in your city for a week. Do you want to meet? Hey, I'm doing this PhD on peer feedback, blah, blah, blah. Like, I didn't want to sell them anything. That would come later. I just wanted maximum conversion. And then I would do 20 meetings in a week. And I would just befriend these professors and, like, get to know them. And 
hear about their courses and talk about peer grade and so on. And some of these became customers later, but they were also always like a friend on the inside, right? So whenever I was thinking about a university customer, I would always remember, oh, but that's where Vigo lives and he has this wife. And I remember like what he teaches. So whenever there was a problem there, whenever they were like considering churning, I would get an email from Vigo saying like, by the way, I hear we're switching this product out with that product. Just wanted to let you awesome. know. Uh, and whenever they like consider churning, they would go and ask the users like, hey, we're using, we're paying for peer grade. Uh, you're a user. Do you like it? Yeah, yeah, it's very essential for me. So like these these relationships seemed very expensive in the beginning, but they were also very like valuable over time to like know Absolutely. specific people in these specific places. And that's very hard to scale, unfortunately, but it's it's paid off very well over the years. So I know you, you took some funding at some point and then you also applied uh, to YC. And you also mentioned to me earlier that at some point, like you just, you kind of just like organically started getting um, like corporations as customers. When did you start thinking of this as something kind of like outside of the the university world or the, the school world? Yeah. Or is that even too early in the story? <laughs> <laughs> Maybe. I don't know. It's a slippery slope, I guess. So um, in in 16, uh, like the year after we launched, basically, we, we decided we wanted to raise some money because we were a startup and that's what startups are supposed to do, at least from the people I knew. That was how startups worked. You go and raise angel money, right? So I, I'd, I'd met an angel investor with the other company I was, I was working. Then the other company, I was a CTO, right? So I wasn't directly involved in raising money, but I'd heard these names of these angel investors, basically. So I, I thought, okay, I should reach out to them again and say, hey, now I'm the CEO and um, I want to get some feedback or like talk to you about whatever my company. So I cold emailed a, a few people in Denmark, some business angels, and, and they met up with me. And, and I would have these like walking meetings uh, talking about the business. And... The first guy I talked to was actually a, a Swedish investor, Hampus, and he oh. he really liked me, I guess, and the idea. But he was also like, a, I write a lot of small checks. Uh, if I think there's something interesting here, I'll I'll maybe invest. So he said like, yeah, I would love to invest. The first time I met him after like 30 minutes and I was like, oh, what? Uh, okay, that's that's great. Like I did not <laughs> anticipate uh, this easy uh, a trajectory. But then he said, okay, actually I have... Uh, some friends and we're gonna do an angel syndicate together you should talk to all of them so he sent me off this tour through copenhagen to meet some other business angels that were teaming up this was like the one of the founders of unity and the founder of just eat and like some pretty impressive but even uh, hampus is like a really really high profile angel here in the nordics yeah, he's he's great, right? He's maybe our most active investor since he, we started, and he was also the first check in. Um, I don't know. I think he liked he liked us more than the business itself. All the investors in the beginning were like, "I have no idea if this is ever gonna work," but there's no reason why it shouldn't theoretically work. So, and you guys seem like you can build things, so so why not? Let's try. I feel in this. I feel like in this story, like you're skipping the part where you know everything about startups and how to do them the right way and like have connections to like all the best investors and stuff like that like did you like spend 10 years listening to startup podcast or something like that before like working for startups so like i think actually a big formative part here for me was living in this co-living space right so I, I moved in there and the guy who started that is called morton and he took me under his wing from day one and got me to start a startup with him as, as i was the cto that's the other startup you were talking about 
Yeah, we pivoted like 20 okay. times in 20 days or something, right? <laughs> we spent a year on it maybe, but we kept pivoting and there was total chaos and we were all learning a lot. But he was, I don't, and none of us knew enough about startups, but he was very good at selling. He was great at pitching. He would like sell anything to anybody and he would know the startup scene fully, right? He was in a startup accelerator running that and so on. So he gave me like the foundational knowledge of what is a startup, how do you raise money, what's what does due diligence mean? What does liquidation preferences mean? All these terms, he knew all of them. And I was just like soak up knowledge as the CTO while building. So as soon as I went with PeerGrade and became the CEO of that, I just like, oh, I guess I'll do what Morten did, right? He he wrote to these angel investors. Let me write to the same five people. So I, I kind of accumulated some some knowledge through that time. And, and then just like reading online, Hacker News, you know, the, the normal resources. It, nice. I think a lot of it is just like somewhat first principles and the Scandinavian humbleness, right? Like Scandinavians really don't want to brag about anything. And I think it's a bit of a fresh air in the startup world sometimes. There's a lot of hyping and bragging and so on. I think sometimes it's nice that people are like, just like I've just undersold everything. And the investors are like, wait, so this is actually a lot better than you're saying. They're, yeah, maybe it is. And, and they're like, oh, that's great. I like this guy. He's like not overselling it. <laughs> that's because you so, had something. Like the rest of us, we have to come up with a good story, man. No, man. It was very scrappy in the beginning. Still is. Yeah, Still is actually, that, that's a great word, like story. So what, stumbling through all this traction and just, was, was it that? Like you just had with, um, with peer grade, like so much was going well that the story, the vision there wasn't a huge vision per se it was just like i made this thing people love it they're buying it i'm there was I don't no know vision right the vision was just like let's yeah. get more buyers on this product we already have uh there was no like yeah. peer grade 2.0 or big peer grade or something it was just like let's just make peer grade slightly better with more features and get more buyers and it was like mm-hmm. you say traction right and it was traction in the sense that we had more customers than we used to but it was all sales. It was all outbound sales, like going from department to department. It was it was not like exponential fast growth of any sort. From, from a financial point of view, did you have to raise money, or you just wanted to because you wanted to be more of a startup? A startup, yeah. We I think we we wanted to like buy out Melde so he could like because he wasn't doing a PhD right, so he needed a salary eventually, and then Simon uh, also finished his studies and, and needed a a salary and so on. So we needed to start taking some money. So so yeah, basically we went to these angels and they all decided to invest together. Uh, six of them, I think, put in. The Unity founder as well. Yeah, David Helgeson. Um, really good. Like, I was really lucky. Like we, I met with Hampus and there was like, he was the, exactly the right person to meet with at that time. He really liked it. And that, that was the first day they were starting this new syndicate. So I was basically the first guy to go the round to all these new syndicate people and say like, hey, should we invest in this as the first startup? And they're like, yeah, he seems like uh, a nice guy. Let's invest in David. Um, that's pretty So that great. was really, really lucky. Well. And then after that, we we went into an accelerator in London, an EdTech accelerator. And then I think we came out of, of the accelerator and, and this angel round with like $500,000 or something like that um, in total capital. Then we did some, got some grants. Denmark, we love giving grants to companies. So we applied for some uh, innovation grants from the government and so on. That also helped us. And then we had our revenue. But uh, it wasn't like a profitable business in that sense back then. We were taking very small salaries or no salaries for a long time. 
that was kind of the funding side of the story, right? And we we're just like slowly scaling up, maybe too fast. We we're like, oh, we sh- now we need employees. That's the next step in a startup, right? So we would hire these part-time people and interns and developers. And at some point, we had twenty people in the office. All of them were like free interns, and and it was, it was playing startup a little bit too fast, I think. So we had to like <laughs> scale back from that eventually. I mean, what you're describing is very much a sales-driven growth engine. So how many of those people were selling? Were were they all doing what, were they all just cl- kind of doing what you did and following the same playbook? Or yeah, how did you manage that? We've tried to replicate me as a salesperson five times now and never succeeded. We've never been able to hire <laughs> somebody who can who can do that thing that I did. You've, right never, you've never been able to find another uh, PhD peer a grading nerd that also know a ton about startups i think it's part of it's it's both like the knowledge i have but it's also the title i have right i had four calls today um four demos and on two of the demos like the person i talked to they congratulated me which is kind of funky right They're like congratulations on what you've achieved you would never say that to a salesperson but they're talking to the ceo and people are like oh i'm talking one of them even said like wow i'm like so honored that i'm talking to the ceo and for me, that's like, I gave myself that title, right? I'm like, we're self person sure. company. It's not, it's not that impressive. <laughs> Anybody can call themselves the CEO. But having that title going into a meeting is very good. Plus, I know all of our customers. I know all of our features. I know every little detail. So like, whenever they ask a question, I can answer. Whenever a decision needs to be made, I can make it on the spot, right? So it's very hard to it's like beat me because I just have like an bunch of unfair advantages that I've accumulated uh, over time. So even if they're better pitchers or or something, they're not they're not me, right? And that's an unfair uh, competition, I guess. How did the investors uh, kind of like influence uh, what you did at this point and kind of, did they give their like input on what you should do or did you already kind of have a plan and they were just investing in that plan? Yeah, so we've we've raised more money since then, right? And like all of the investors have always tried to coach us, but I think we're fairly uncoachable. We just do not want to take their advice. And it's usually because we're the idiots. They often have good advice, but it's just everybody who's run a company knows how hard it is to change something you've already done. It's like, but this is what we that's what we're doing. We can't change this now. Like this is like we've sunk all this cost into this uh, thing. Like what, this is the product we're building. So yeah. often they would they would try to like get us to change trajectory a lot and and that's just almost impossible to accept. And then often they would say useless things like have you thought about like selling more? Yeah. Yeah, we think about that every night, right? But like it's not that easy. Or maybe you should have more salespeople. Okay, thanks a lot for your advice. Like uh, it's not very useful. So they didn't really uh, change what we did too much I think they were more people we could call when we had trouble right so uh, when we had uh, to fire our first employee or something we could call and say like what do we do now uh, so that could be helpful yeah that makes sense like I'm kind of thinking two things uh, like you said that then you wanted to hire a bunch of people after you raised the money did that come from investors or did that come was that another like we're a startup. We yeah, it was start more like things. we're a startup. The investors never told us to hire anybody. Maybe they told okay. us, like, maybe you should think about scaling sales. Because what they were seeing from the outside was a business that was working at the fundamental level of, like, there is a product, people like it, people are paying for it, now we should scale. I think yeah. that was premature. 
Um, and, and and we thought, okay, now we sh- we're supposed to scale now, right? And then we should we should hire more people so we can do more blog posts and and <laughs> so on, right? But we didn't know anything about SEO. We just like hired a marketing intern to like write blog posts that made no sense. And we would have salespeople trying to write the same cold emails as I did, but they weren't good. So none of that really worked. But at least like product accumulates, right? So we just keep building on the product, and we had a very strong technical team. So yeah. salespeople would go and come, but but the product would keep improving, um, and that's what kind of kept us going for, in that period of time, I guess. 